Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We are Katie and Beth, PAs and doctors of medical science who are here to help you get accepted into PA school, get through PA school, and then have a thriving career as a PA. So if you're a pre-PA, a PA student, or a physician assistant, then you are in the right place. We are so happy you are here and so excited for your future. Before we get started on today's exciting episode, we want you to take a deep breath, close your eyes, and imagine the day when you finally and confidently submit your CASPA application, an application that you are super proud of and that sets you apart from the thousands of other applicants. Then imagine the day you open your inbox and you see not one, but two, then three invites to some of your favorite PA programs. Then imagine your interview day. You go into your interview confident in your answers and confident that you are a competitive candidate. You crush your interview and wow your interview panel. Finally, imagine the day you receive the email, the one you have hustled for so hard and for so many years, the email that says, congratulations, you were accepted into PA school. This can be your reality, and our entire mission is to help you get accepted to PA school as quickly and painlessly as possible. Through our years of working at PA programs, reviewing CASPA apps, and interviewing candidates, we saw so many applicants make mistakes that cost them an interview or acceptance into PA school. We don't want this to be you. We will mentor you and guide you through the overwhelm of applying to PA school, creating a competitive application, and nailing your interview so you can finally get accepted. We show you exactly how in our application to acceptance course. Check it out in the show notes. Where will you be in one year if you don't take action? Don't waste your time and money reapplying. Charge forward and go all in on your dream of becoming a PA. You are so close. Don't stop now. Let's get you accepted. Again, check out the application to acceptance course in the show notes. Now on to today's episode. With Shiv Gaglani, co-founder and CEO and co-host of the Raise the Line podcast by osmosis.org. Shiv, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, thanks for having me. So... I, I was a medical student at Johns Hopkins. I still technically am a medical student there, but I left after my second year with my co-founder, Ryan, who is my anatomy partner to start Osmosis. Actually, right after starting Osmosis, I then went to business school. I did an MBA for two years, finished that, made my mom proud finally by actually finishing a graduate degree, uh, and then uh, and have been full-time on Osmosis for the last five years. But I, you know, before med school, I was really interested in health policy, biomedical engineering, and a bunch of other fields. Uh, happy to get into any of that. Uh, but just my passion is is about education and healthcare and with osmosis and fortunately able to combine the two in, in a really great way. Yeah, I think, you know, you're a unique individual in the fact that you have kind of a background in medicine and then you also have that business background because this is something we see a lot that, you know, uh, healthcare providers, um, they don't have that business background. They don't have that business model. And so I think that's really, really interesting about how you can meld those. So can you tell us a little bit about the the history of osmosis um, and the business model and kind of what that's like? Yeah, totally. So I didn't, you know, go to business school. I didn't plan on going to business school. I went to med school. I was very interested in just creating scalable solutions, right? Like the, the thing that got me interested in businesses in the first place was the fact that, you know, as a provider, as a, a future clinician, and again, I still have to go back and finish a year and a half to, to actually practice, you could, you're basically limited, your impact is limited to how many patients you can see in a day. And so an average physician or, or a clinician can see a couple thousand patients a year, um, without, and hopefully they don't burn out, they have a long career. Whereas in, what got me interested in business was, you know, and you guys are familiar with this, having been able to, to scale out pre-PA clinic and write a book, is the scalability aspect where, you know, you could be sleeping and someone could go find your book and still get value out of it without you even meeting them. And that's really cool to, like, wake up and see that people are benefiting from something you created. 
it's a long way of saying like osmosis wasn't actually created initially as a business it was really just to solve a problem that my co-founder and i were having as anatomy partners which was trying to learn medicine in an efficient way and then not forget it uh, because we were forgetting things very quickly and, and you know pa it's like drinking from a fire hose as you know it's any health systems and science and so initially osmosis started as just kind of a, a web and mobile learning platform freemium model similar to a lot of you know like spotify or any one of those tools and students would come on they get a lot of value in just the product and the video library for free and you can still do that you can still benefit a lot from just the free version of osmosis but if you wanted the full content library or if you wanted the full feature set then you pay about 150 dollars a year or try pegging that to about netflix level prices where you know if you can pay for netflix and binge watching you know uh parks and rec you can hopefully pay for your medical career. And so that's how we evolved to become a freemium model. And now increasingly, uh, schools are purchasing on behalf of their students and faculty. So we have over 30 PA schools, over 150 health professional programs around the world that have subscribed to Osmosis. And that's our preferred model because you know we think students already are paying so much to go to these schools that if it's possible for the school to, to take it on, then it will directly come out of the wallet of the, of the student. So two things about that. First, we were flipping through your website earlier, and it is so fun. It is yes. really fun, really engaging. So you guys have done such a great job with that. And the second, I really love what you said about being able to make an impact while you sleep, because that is one of our favorite things about podcasts. It's one to many as opposed to like one to one with uh, your patients, for instance. So yeah, I love that. It's so interesting to just feel like, hey, you can make an impact on people that you don't even know that you'll never know and you'll never hear about, but you're still making an impact on them. And as you said, you're making an impact on every patient that they see too. So it's not just the provider, but it's every patient they see. And if you multiply that by all these schools and all these providers, you really do have that scalability that you were talking about. You're like, hey, it's kind of like education. When we were in education, it was like we impact our student and then every, every patient that they ever see. So by teaching students, we actually increase the health of our population at, you know, exponentially. So just what you're doing. So I think that's really, really great that you're kind of revolutionizing the way that um, students learn. And what do you think is kind of what's the background about how you teach them to learn and not forget? Yeah, so, so my co-founder, his name is Ryan Haynes. He actually came into med school with a PhD in neuroscience. And so we, we were very much nerding out. I did my senior thesis in college as a, in neuroscience too. And so very interested in, in how do you teach and educate efficiently and then applying that to ourselves as students. So there are a lot of evidence-based principles that we've known about for a long time, things like spaced repetition, which was actually discovered in the late 19th century by a German researcher, which is literally just an algorithm that tells you when you need to review something before you forget it. And so we built that into the, the, the platform. Memory palaces, some of our good friends like Sketchy, Medical, and Picmonic, uh, the people who created those companies have, have built entire companies around memory palaces and how do you retain a bunch of information in a spatial way. Testing effect, multimedia learning, there's, uh, you know, if you go to osmosis.org forward slash research, you can see a lot of the underlying evidence behind these tools uh, and techniques. And then osmosis published 18 peer-reviewed papers now about how do we combine these different techniques and improve uh, engagement and or scores. I mean, our ultimate goal is not necessarily just to improve test scores because, you know, I, I, we had you on our podcast and I wholeheartedly agree that like GPA or test scores is not uh, past a certain point it's not predictive of how good of a clinician you're gonna be. There's a baseline, which is, can you get through a rigorous science program? And obviously you need the ability to study and learn, but you know whether you get a, um, a 3.8 or a 3.1, probably not a big difference as long as you're above you know, a certain sub uh, threshold. 
And so for us, it was what we're finding is that we aren't just helping students do better on tasks or on, on their classes. Sometimes they're doing the same exact, same exactly, but they just have more time and less stress. And that's time and stress that they can save and apply to patient care or research or shadowing or, or just being a human, right? Just being, uh, having, having a life. Yeah, that's so important because we hear all the time students like, I just don't have time. Like, I could learn all this information, but I don't have time and I don't have time to sleep and I don't have time to eat. So I think that, you know, giving back time, the one thing that you cannot buy, no matter how much money you have, is super, super important, especially when it comes to students because burnout, even in students, is a big thing. And of course, clinicians, too, burnout is a huge thing. And so we talked a little bit about students. In what ways is osmosis revolutionizing the way that both clinicians and patients learn about health and medicine? Yeah, it's a great, great question. Really something we're super passionate about. So the vision of osmosis is everyone who cares for someone will learn by osmosis. And we model that after Nike. I'm a big fan of Nike, and Nike's vision is to provide inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. There's an asterisk of an athlete where they say, if you have a body, you're an athlete. right? So literally anyone who has a body, so every human, all 7 billion of us, could be uh, athletes and could be Nike customers. So for us, everyone cares for someone, right? Whether you're going to become a PA or you're already a physician, whatever you are, or you're just a parent and you're looking after your child who has asthma or got, you know, got sick with something, or an elderly parent who has dementia or hypertension, or just yourself, like you care for yourself, you care for your body. And so osmosis, you know, as we've grown and become bigger and expand our audience, we now have you know, 2.15 million YouTube subscribers. What we've realized is a lot of the people consuming our content, which we originally made, for medical, nursing, and PA students to get through their schools are actually patients. So you go to our YouTube channel or, or Wikipedia and you look up an osmosis video on diabetes or opioids or something, and you'll see comments from not only practicing clinicians, now we have continuing education, you can get CE credit from osmosis over 250 hours, but also patients who are like, wow, now I finally understand what's going on with my body or, uh, or what's going on with my best friend who has celiac disease. Uh, and that's been very motivating and inspiring to us because no matter how many clinicians we train, we just won't have enough, right? Like there's too many people in the world for, for them to all get access to clinicians whenever they want. And so apart from this concept of raising the line and improving healthcare access and healthcare quality, we also need to flatten the curve as we've all heard, not just for COVID, but for any chronic disease, any issue. The more people you can get to say, eat healthier, quit smoking, get engaged with their own bodies and health, the less clinicians we're going to need and the less expensive healthcare we're going to need. So osmosis's vision is really expanded to encompass not just student education, provider education, but also patient education. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. The fact that a lot of your you know subscribers are patients. I think that's fantastic because one, you know, it shows that they're interested in their own healthcare. And as we know, you know, as healthcare providers that your, you know, your patient has to do the part, they have to take their medications, they have to check their blood sugars, whatever it is. But also because a lot of patients complain that there's not enough time for patient education. You know, when we have a patient every 15 minutes, we rattle off a spiel really, really quickly and maybe they have questions or they didn't understand everything or they thought they did and they get home and they realized, oh, I forgot. To have a place that has legit medical information is really, really important because we get a lot of patients that come in that print stuff off the internet and as we know it's not always true everything you see on the internet so i think you know having this this reputable channel of places where patients can go and it's you know told to them at a level that they can understand is super super important and i think it's really interesting that they're they're going there and they're figuring out this information because that's exactly what we need to empower our patients to take control of their own health and as you said not everybody has the same access to providers but if they have access to information that they can act on um, i think that's really important and i think that sets osmosis apart from different platforms other platforms um, and what are some other things that you think kind of set osmosis apart from different learning platforms? 
Yeah, and first of all, um, I you know we are, we collaborate with a lot of learning platforms, right? I mentioned Sketching Picmonic, uh, Visual DX. Basically, we're very collaborative because ultimately, the more organizations that are doing the work to get people into healthcare careers and then keeping them in healthcare careers, the better. Right, a rising tide raises all boats. So even though there's some competitors, you know, for WalletShare when it comes to hey, I need to get to the pants exam, do I buy this thing or do I buy that thing? You know, if there's a limited amount of funds, yeah, that's a competitor. But ultimately, the you know the work that we're doing and hopefully they're doing too is to get more people into the into the profession and then hopefully also make the tests less important because ultimately we care strongly about training good providers who do good patient care as opposed to just good test takers. So, anyways, what sets us apart? I mean, obviously, the, the strong grounding and evidence based science is a huge part of what we it's in our DNA. Another thing is we we publish eighteen peer reviewed papers, as I mentioned. That's most of any organization that we're aware of. We're very relationship focused. So again, as I mentioned, not only collaborating with would-be competitors, but finding ways to collaborate with the schools. So for example, with Rush Medical College, not only do we provide osmosis as a tool for their medical students, they then tapped us to create new content. So we've worked with them to create whole new courses. We work with companies like 23andMe to do genetics education, the CDC to do COVID education, YouTube Health tapped us to do a, a bunch of public health ed- education as well. Wow. Uh, so that sets us apart. And then finally, the people, I, I just like, you know, we care a lot about the people at Osmosis and spend a lot of time recruiting the right people. Chief Medical Officer Rishi Desai, who used to run Khan Academy of Medicine. So not, not only when he and the Khan Academy of Medicine team joined us, they had a better vision for how to produce content for healthcare professionals and students, which is why Osmosis has grown to this many um, YouTube subscribers. But also, just like some of the kindest, most passionate, mission-driven people I've ever met at any organization. And so very proud of the team that we've put together to do this uh, very big and, and hairy, ambitious goal. What an incredible impact you're making. Like, I mean, your net is so wide. That's awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, it's been, I mean, I wish, like, the, the narrative fallacy is like, yeah, if I left med school to do this big thing. That was not the case. I left med school to do the small thing, and the small thing ultimately, we stuck around long enough that, like, it became a bigger thing. And I, I think it could be a much bigger thing in five or ten years. But I'm pretty proud of the, the team that we've assembled that certainly we would not have done this without them, so... Yeah, it just shows that there was a need, right? Mm -hmm. That the fact that it grew so big, even beyond kind of what you were planning on it, it shows that there's such a need for this type of thing. The fact that it just kind of exploded. And so I think that that's really, that's really heartening. The fact that like, okay, hey, people are realizing that, you know, we need this type of education and the patients need it and students need it. And the fact that you're collaborating with a whole lot of people because your mission is, again, it, it, the, the way that you view the world is, hey, we need more healthcare. We're trying to raise the line, better healthcare providers, more access to care. And I think, you know, you guys are holding really, really true to that. And it just really shows an impact that you're making. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, been quite a journey. We also saw your map on your website, and it looks like you're in multiple countries around the world. That's very cool. That's one of the nice things and unexpected things about launching on YouTube, right, is that the comments were not only from patients and providers that were surprising to us, pleasantly surprising, but also from, like, Spain and Sweden and Argentina and Zambia, it's like pretty cool because many of their education systems are in English. We have done translations. We have an Osmosis Vietnamese channel that a bunch of volunteer professionals in medicine in Vietnam decided to make. And we have 60,000 Osmosis Vietnamese subscribers. And we've never, like, I don't know Vietnamese. And I've been to Vietnam once, but like most people on the company have never been there. So it's kind of cool. It's very community driven and very global, which is also very exciting to us. Very cool. So this is totally a loaded question, but what are some of the problems that you think are in our current healthcare system and what solutions do you have for them? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, how much time do we have on this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'll say progress is real. Like, I'm, I'm excited because people who are always trying to improve things, whether it's entrepreneurs or clinicians, can focus on the negative, the, th- the problems. And certainly there are a lot of problems, but progress has been made. And I want to make sure we do a shout out for, for the things that health systems are doing to improve the employee experience for the providers, for the things um, innovators are doing to introduce value-based medicine instead of fee-for-service medicine the government is doing to expand access to people who were previously uninsured. So there's a lot of good progress. As far as problems I've focused on, I think one of the biggest problems is, is again, the fact that we are a value-based healthcare system, that a lot of people are compensated, whether it's medical device companies, pharma companies, clinicians themselves, hospitals, compensated on the services provided. Uh, as opposed to the outcomes. So the incentives aren't super aligned, where, you know, doing that extra hip surgery, when maybe it won't actually improve the patient reported outcomes six to 12 months later, uh, and may lead to more complications because uh, it's invasive and an 80-year-old doing hip, hip surgery could be the wrong move, is just not how our health system is set up. And I think COVID has really made it so that more people are focused on value-based care. There's great companies like Iora Health, ChenMed, VillageMD, and others that are pushing forward value-based medicine. Telemedicine's obviously taken a huge, you know, more convenient, more accessible, less expensive care delivery, like telemedicine took a huge bump because of COVID. So I think there's a lot of progress happening there. I think education, uh, the education system is antiquated. That's why we started osmosis in the first place. A lot of this didactic education could be done virtually and asynchronously. So like Jim Van Rie, who I'm sure you know at Yale, he runs Yale's online PA program. He's awesome. And I think that's a, that's a good model for how do you expand the number of people in diversity of people going into these professions, make it more possible for them to do the non-clinical stuff online asynchronously so that when they when it matters, when they need to do the clerkships, they actually spend more time on that than on you know, tests, uh, unless they really need the classroom environment, in which case give them that opportunity too. And then finally, the other thing I would say is just patient engagement. I just feel like the more educated people are about their own health and the more collaborative they are with their clinicians and they take, take control over it, the less expensive healthcare will be and the less uh, issues we'll have. Um, some of that's systemic. Clearly, you know, just telling people to not eat donuts or eat bad food is not going to solve diabetes because ultimately, like, big food and food deserts are real and donuts are very cheap relative to, you know, a fresh kale salad and they, they frankly taste way better. Um, so I'm not saying, like, you know, just watching a video on how, how to eat is going to help, but it's, it's going to be something where and we're seeing this with COVID. COVID is so expensive financially, emotionally, uh, the human cost is real, largely because 30, 40% of people who could be vaccinated right now are not getting vaccinated. And, you know, there's so much misinformation, which is, again, why, because of COVID, I feel even more strongly about our role in helping reduce misinformation and, and give good information. So that's just a big, you know, systemic issue, I think, that, that we as a society have to tackle. It's not up to a clinician, but it's, it's up, to, up to all of us to tackle that. Yeah, I love the fact that you brought up like the Yale online thing because remember when they were first starting that and we have always said that we said, you know, you want students to work in rural communities. And so you recruit students from these rural communities, but then you have them move to the big city and they go to school there and they do the rotations there and then shocker, they don't go back to the rural community, right? Because they've made friends, maybe they've got married, whatever. And so in order to have like, hey, let's do it online, let's let them live in their communities um, and let's let them, you know, go online and and stay where they are and let's let them do rotations or clerkships in their communities in the place that they actually want to work. And that to me makes so much more sense than having everybody move to the big city or wherever your PA school is. Because again, our, our goal is to get these people back to the areas where they came from. But if you pull them away from that area for three to four years, they make friends, they get in relationships, they get 
job offers from places that they've worked for. And so I think it's really, really interesting, this online thing, as you said, that allows people to learn didactic information, kind of lecture-based information from where they are and then stay in their community and kind of make an impact in that community because we have always thought that. And so we're very excited. The number of PA programs that are online or at least hybrid online programs are just, again, climbing. We've got a lot of new hybrid programs that are coming online. You know, Yale graduated its first class. And so things are really, really starting to get forward with this information because students these days are so much more technology friendly and technology savvy than we are. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of staying up to date on technology advances and online learning when it comes to clinical settings? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I'm glad that you guys care a lot about that as well, because one of my favorite schools and group of people in the osmosis ecosystem is AT Still University and uh, Ted Wendell, Craig Phelps, Gary Cloud, these three uh, people who I know really well, Ted's a good friend, who say exactly that. They have this partnership with uh, the National Association for Community Health Centers, which are the rotation sites. So a lot of what they do is they try getting people who are like living, breathing clinicians to become preceptors, so they're doing a lot of education for them. And how do you become a better teacher? Because they're trained as clinicians first, and then teachers second, mm -hmm. if at all. And so having all these rural community health center sites where people can go do their rotations and hopefully form roots in those rural settings where we need more healthcare access, but then doing the didactic portions online or, or making the didactic portions in class very, very short, so that maybe you're only living in the big city for like three months, and then the rest of your program is. Is, is in the rural settings. Online learning, obviously, just like telehealth, grew rapidly because of COVID. And a lot of people, yeah, realize it's more convenient, it's more accessible, it's cheaper, it should be cheaper. Anything that does online learning and then doesn't pass cost savings down, I think is a, frankly, I think is a scam. Because I think, you, you know, part of the benefit of online is you don't, you can do it asynchronously, you should be able to do it for more cheaply uh, and more conveniently. And maybe continue working your job while doing the online program and then pass out or test out of whatever you need to do to then get into the apprenticeship model. That's, I think, the ideal framework, a competency-based online model of education. Even before COVID, I gave this TEDx talk called Could You Get an MD Online? And uh, I'll send it to you guys later because I think that was essentially where I laid out what the vision for osmosis is. And then COVID hit and made that even more important. That if we really want a diverse set of physicians and PAs, you can't have people leave their jobs for like two, three, four years, incur a ton of debt, and then expect a super diverse socioeconomic class of people. It's just not gonna, the math won't add up. So I think online learning should be a great, should be a great equalizer. It obviously hasn't been yet, but it's, it's, it's helping us get there. Yeah, I love the fact that you're thinking about the students because they are people too. And we've always said like, you know, you can go to a lot of schools part-time, you know, you can go to um, nursing part-time, you can go to nurse practitioner part-time. Like, why can you not go to PA school part-time? Like, if you're full-time working as a paramedic or, I don't know, physical therapy aide or something, you know, as you said, quitting your job, especially if you have family or other obligations, to move somewhere for three years isn't feasible for a lot of people who might make amazing providers. So we've always wondered, like, why is there not a part-time, at least part-time didactic, you know, clinical, sure, full-time, but why is there not some part-time online didactic that meet these students at where they are in life? because there's probably some amazing students who would be amazing providers, but they're just like, listen, I can't take eight years out of my life to, you know, go and move somewhere, go to med school, or I can't, I can't leave my family for three years, you know, we need the income type thing. So I think you're right, making it more accessible to students in maybe non-traditional lifestyles or just different lifestyles is going to help increase the accessibility of this career to everybody because everybody's worried about diversity, but you can say you're worried about diversity, but what are you actually doing to accomplish it? And so something like that, okay, accomplishing people who are also, you know, moms and dads and, and taking care of other people or, or working jobs because you're right, it's a big financial hit. Not everybody can just say, 
I'm going to not work for three years and pay tuition. <laughs> and then, you know, because of where they are in life. So I think that that's a really great point. Yeah. And we actually work with quite a few candidates that are parents. And so they're limited in what programs they can apply to. And they can only, you know, there's one or two PA programs in their area that they can drive to or, or that they have transportation to. And so it's really a disservice that they're limited by location just for, you know, having a family or, you know, not being able to move for whatever reason it is. So I agree. With, I wish that, you know, we had some more non-traditional didactic learning. Yeah. this is. I mean, speaking of Bay Area Nation schools, like the future I would love to see is whether the government or, or someone is able to help subsidize like a national health corps where anybody anywhere like doesn't matter what your age is doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is what education you've done before you could go online and you could learn basically you could do a diabetes module you could do a taking vital signs module you could do basically all the didactics that you need for pa nursing medical school that's what we're building at osmosis that's free to you you're totally free just go do it and then you can then you can enroll and take a test like the PANS or the USMLE, pass out of that, right? And you obviously have to spend money probably to, to sit for that exam to show that you're care enough to have studied and like to take the test. And then once you pass that, then you can enroll in a clinical site. So basically, you know, the worst thing that'll happen is it'll just get more people interested in the career and not put up this blocker of like, oh yeah, you got to do organic chemistry first before you can even learn about diabetes. That's crazy. Organic chemistry is useless for the average person. And even for people going into PA and medical school, you don't use that much. But if you go, actually, like it's putting the cart before the horse. If you go to the horse first, right, and you learn about the diabetes uh, medicines, metformin and things like that, without knowing organic chemistry, I mean, as much because you can learn a lot of it without knowing what substitution reactions, for example, get rid of more of the weeder stuff, whether that's irrelevant content or expensive content and time, whether it's expensive by money or time make it free and available for anyone and get a more literate, health-conscious public. And then a bunch of them, we're going to see a much more diverse, much more accessible path for training these clinicians at scale, I think, if we do something like that. So that's what, that's what kind of what we're fighting for at osmosis. Yeah, that's a hard battle because this whole renaissance education thing is sort of, you know, the way that our education model works. So no matter what you get your degree in, you take a social science, you take a history, you take all this stuff. And Katie's always favorite thing is like, I don't ever use organic chemistry. <laughs> like, why is it a prereq for so many programs? I've never used it in my life. <laughs> so I think it's super interesting. And I know a couple years ago, it was a school, I think up in New England somewhere announced, it was a med school, that they were going to make it tuition free for like either the whole school or a portion of the school so they wouldn't come out with debt because the plan of that was is they wanted these physicians to become primary care providers and the number one thing is people are like I don't want to go into primary care because I have to pay back all this debt and so I don't know how that panned out I don't know if you're aware of that or if they've even graduated like do you have any idea about how that's panned out? Yeah so several of our uh, schools so I mentioned we work with 150 schools several of them are now tuition so NYU was the one I think that okay. made a big splash because of it. Yeah. New York University and then Cut is a permanente, another one of our partners has done it too. And so it's, it's hardening because, I mean, if you talk to, I know you both are very much in the international, uh, PA education and in, uh, international in general. A lot of these other uh, countries, they sub heavily subsidize these mm -hmm. programs, right? Because how, do you, how can you say you want frontline healthcare workers and healthcare workers are heroes on one end and then at the other end, not appropriately fund uh, people who want to get into these programs, whether it's loans or better yet, just free tuition or subsidized tuition. You know, saddling somebody with $200,000 or $100,000 of debt just puts them on the wrong foot to then become healthcare heroes, right? Why not wipe their debt first? Like that could be an awesome thing uh, 
a new administration could do is let, let's go after all, all the people who, who saved us during COVID the past year and a half, two years, PAs, nurses, physicians, and focus on their debt levels first and wipe as much of that as possible. I think that would be a great thing. To, so, you know, I think there's, it's very complicated why people choose certain specialties or certain places to live. As you mentioned, sometimes people just settle in the cities, not because it's more expensive, just because they like to see musicals and there are mm-hmm. musicals in rural, in rural settings. Or, but I do think there is evidence that reducing debt is a way to get people to be unfettered about what type of, where they live and what type of profession they choose and how long they practice in, in a way that doesn't burn them out. Right? Feeling like you have to practice to pay off your debt it's just not a good good way to live. And then the moment you pay off your debt, you may be done because you're like, okay, I'm done. I just burned out. I had to work, you know, 80 hour weeks, and people weren't wearing masks, and the public didn't care, etc. So of course you're going to burn out. Which is why I think if the administration did something, if they're going to spend trillions of dollars anyways, why not do something to alleviate the burden and anxiety that all of our clinicians are facing, many of whom have billions of dollars worth of debt. No, I really love that because I think it's really true when you know you have this debt to pay, you sort of feel powerless over your future, over what you want to do. So maybe you want to do some mission work. Maybe you want to, you know, help with the free clinics and stuff and you'd love to do that. And that's why you got into this profession. But this this huge load of debt makes you think, I, I can't do that. Like, I've got to work towards my future first. I've got to pay off this debt. And then when you have the freedom, you have a freedom to maybe choose a job that maybe pays less, but it's still kind of what you enjoy or maybe with a different patient population. I think that is so true because this burden of debt really does keep people. And then it does kind of drive you down because you feel like you're only working because you need that paycheck to pay off this debt because we know student debt never leaves. And so I think that that that's a really good thought about how to, you know, keep burnout rates down, how to drive people maybe in areas that probably have bigger needs or, you know, free clinic, more volunteering, more mission type stuff is if they don't feel like they have to work 80 hours at the normal job to pay off debt because they get all this, you know, money for call or money for RVUs or whatever, that they can use that time and just kind of take a deep breath and realize, okay, why did I give them this uh, to begin with? So I think that's a really good, a good thought on that. You have an awesome podcast, Raise the Line, and it has some incredible information. Tell our listeners where they can find that and a little bit more about it. Yeah, and certainly we have awesome guests, including you two, who I know will be appearing soon on an episode. It's osmosis.org forward slash Raise the Line podcast. That's all one one word. And you can also find it on you know, Apple, Spotify, etc. And we've had some really amazing guests as well, like government people, like Tom Frieden, who's the former CDC director. Chelsea Clinton was on. And we've also had like leaders of health systems, Medical Officer of Providence, which is the largest health system in the Northwest, medical digital health innovators. So it's really cool. And the whole concept was, you know, your question, Katie, about what are some specific things we can be doing to improve our healthcare system? You know, the ideas are out there. And like uh, the podcast talks about a lot of these ideas. Uh, it's just about executing against these ideas. Yeah, for sure. And what other type of social media do you have? We know you have an Instagram presence. Can you give any kind of handles or anything where people can follow you? Yeah, so youtube.com forward slash osmosis. Uh, our Instagram channel is pretty big. It's osmosis med. We also have osmosis nursing. Hopefully soon we'll have osmosis PA. Maybe we can talk to you guys about that. And then we have uh, yeah, LinkedIn. We're pretty active, especially with our institutional partnerships. Uh, and people, I encourage people to, to find me as well. Just Shibriklani. I think I'm the only one on all these social media sites. It's, it's pretty pretty unusual name. So I encourage people to reach out to me or just Shiv at awesomeness.org. Awesome. And then the last question, which is the most fun, who is Shiv when the white coat comes off? I think the best answer to that right now, because I'm in Colorado, is a snowboarder. So I love Sweet. Uh, snowboarding. It's like my favorite hobby in the world. And I, only, I only learned a couple of years ago. So you can, you know, we talked about this, you, you don't have to be an 18-year-old prodigy who wants to go to PA school or med school or whatever. 
you can learn late in life, you can change your careers. And for me, change your hobbies. I grew up in Florida and now I live in the mountains because I love snowboarding so much. So I love it. Well, thank you so much. So our listeners, if you're listening to this, it's okay. If you started different, you're never late. <laughs> it's never too late to change. And thank you so much, Shiv, for all your amazing information. We have all the links to everything social in the show notes. If you guys please go check out Osmosis, whether you're pre-PA or already PA students or just PAs who are listening, some excellent resources for you. That's all evidence-based. Thank you both so much. It was a lot of fun. We just wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about something that we know will skyrocket your shot of getting accepted to PA school. Do you have an interview for PA school coming up? First off, congratulations. You have worked so hard to get to this point. Second, make sure you rock out your interview and land that seat so you can finally start living your dream as a PA. If you want to make sure to stand out in your interview, we created an interview course for you that will take you from average to an outstanding interviewee that programs can't wait to accept. We've interviewed candidates for years. We know exactly what students do right and what they do wrong during their interview answers and during their interview. This course has all the expert tips and advice from our years interviewing applicants and deciding who to accept and who not to accept. It has what to do, what not to do, what programs are actually asking between the lines, and so much more. Check it out in the show notes or at go.prepaclinic.com slash interview course. Again, show notes or go.prepaclinic.com slash interview course. We can't wait to hear which PA programs accept you. Thank you so much for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We'll catch you next time.